0: Hello. Hello. Hello, and welcome to Grace Online. We're really excited for you to be able to receive an encouraging word from Scripture today. Because we know that God is already here, and He is ready to be with you. And let's get ready to hear today's message. Our Scripture reading today is from Paul's letter to the Philippians, the second chapter, verses 12 through 30. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Therefore, dear friends, as you've always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. But even if I am poured out like a drink offering on the sacrifice and service is coming from your faith, I am glad and rejoice with all of you. So you too should be glad and rejoice with me. I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, that I also may be cheered when I receive news about you. I have no one else like him who will show genuine concern for your welfare, for everyone looks out for their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know that Timothy was proved himself because as a son with his father, he has served with me in the work of the gospel. I hope, therefore, to send him as soon as I see how things go with me. I, and I am confident in the Lord that I myself will come soon. But I think it is necessary to send back to you Epaphroditus, my brother, co-worker, and fellow soldier who is also your messenger, whom you sent to take care of my needs. For he longs for all of you and is distressed because you heard he was ill. Indeed, he was ill and almost died, but God had mercy on him and not on him alone, but also on me to spare me sorrow upon sorrow. Therefore, I am all the more eager to send him, so that when you see him again, you may be glad and I may have less anxiety. So then, welcome him in the Lord with great joy and honor people like him, because he almost died for the work of Christ. He risked his life to make up for the help you yourselves could not give me. This is the word of the Lord. Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Well, last time I was here, I think it was in August, we had a little Bible quiz, and just as a refresher course. (laughs) 66 uh, books in the Bible, right? And how many in the Old Testament? 39 little math, leaves 27 in the New Testament. Okay, of those 27, how many of them are letters written by one person to someone else or some group, other group? 22, 22. How many of those letters are written by a person to another single person? You know, from one person to another? Only four. That means 18 letters, 18 books of the New Testament that we hold as Holy Scripture are a letter from one person to a group, to a church, or even Book of Revelation, seven churches all together. These are written because they didn't have a Bible at the time. They only had oral tradition, and people like Paul going to visit them. And if he couldn't visit them, he would send people like Timothy or Paproditus. His third way of doing it, which is his least liked one for him, was to write a letter. But what a blessing for us, now being able to look at his letters, inspired by God, the Word of God, that we can hold on to. And that's important for us today. I'm gonna to be with you for three of the four weeks here in October, so I thought I'd get a little groundwork out of the way because we've got two uh, kind of glaring things going on here that we need to talk about uh, today. And one of them will just, is about the letter itself. We need to remember whenever we look at a book and Philemon, or, uh, Philippians is like the poster child for a letter written to a group that is written to a whole church. It says right in the beginning, written to what would be the council, to be read to the people aloud. Whenever you come across for you, it's you all. It's plural. There isn't a singular you in the whole book of Philippians. He who has begun a good work in you, you all as a church we'll see it to completion. So we have to be careful when we're looking at books of the Bible that are written in some, for example, in that way, written to a whole group that we don't sit down and say, okay, this is God's personal word to me today, right directly from from God, because it's not necessarily written in that context. We have to look at what the writer was doing what his intentions were writing to a group and how that applies to us today. And we have to see this in Philippians especially because it's probably his mildest letter he's written. You know, he starts right off with Galatians, you foolish Galatians, doesn't even say hello. He he writes to the the Corinthians, he starts out nice, but by chapter four, he is really ripping them. But here he is complimenting them because this good work he started, they've been help supporting him while he's in prison. And so they're sending him money to help him have his things and, and support him. And uh, he's thanking them for that, but he notices there is a fragmentation away from what I'm talking about. This group understanding. He is talking to them as if they are one people, many members, one church. And he he sees that they are drifting away from that. And he's talking about there are divisions he's starting to hear about. As a matter of fact, the only time he mentions anybody specifically by name in the book of Philippians, the letter of the Philippians, is when he is trying to tell two ladies to stop bickering. I mean, it's, you know, they're probably down in the basement arguing over what color jello to make for, for the potluck. But he, that's the only time that he says points out an individual that he wants to speak to. He wants us to come together as a people. That's what we can take from this. He wants us to come hear the word as this is read out aloud to them. He wants them to taste the word in the sacraments, the Holy Communion. And he wants the church to also be the word to each other, to hold each other up. When you come here to church, you are fed the word of God, not just by the words of the scripture or, or the Holy Communion, those are the most important ways of hearing the word, but you're also helped and built up by one another, by each other, coming together, being support, for one another. And just as importantly, and a lot of times we forget this, when you're not here, we too who are here miss being supported by you. Uh, Romans opens just that way. Paul has never been to the church in Rome, but he, goes, he says to them, I want to come and be an encouragement for you and you be an encouragement for me. We hold each other up. We support each other. We work together of one mind, of one purpose. And in that, our faith grows. It's not just hoping and wishing and everything else, it's being built up by the brothers and sisters around you. So that is what Paul is trying to make sure still happens in the book to the Philippians as the people stay together in their faith. We have problems with our faith, goes up and down, maybe like this. Uh, and we come to church and we're built up by those people. We have doubts and things, and we come and we talk. By the way, I've never met anybody that honestly can say they don't have doubts of their faith, and if you don't think you have any, see me. I'll help you out. i got a bunch. (laughs) But as we walk in this walk of faith, I find that being around people and studying and seeing the faith of the others around me kind of takes that doubt that was sort of in the middle of the page and replaces it with this this example of faith right in front of me and all those doubts seem to move out to the margins of the page, don't they? And there we are in the very center of of the page is the faith in Jesus Christ. A little earlier in the book of Philippians, Paul is talking just about this exact thing when he says, only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or I'm absent, I may hear that you are standing firm in one spirit, one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. And here's where I come up with a problem. We have to realize though God does not open the gates of heaven for a church Christ did not go to the cross for Grace Lutheran Church God does not have people go to hell that are send a church to hell he sends people you and I so how do we work this? If, if we're trying to hold up a church as one mind, as one body, as one faith, but yet it is we people who God is calling. It's kind of like there's it's, we work together as a church. The best way I could think of it was like a corporation. We all know what a corporation is. But what happens, what is a corporation? What happens when everybody that's working in the corporation goes home and they flip the lights out? Does an hour later the computers wake up and go, okay, okay, all those pesky humans are gone, let's turn everything on and we'll do this the way we want to do it, and we're gonna get the machines going and this corporation is now gonna keep working. No, a corporation is the people in it. And some people work and some people lead, and if you get to an age like me, some people are investors who kinda of watch to see how the stock's going and looking at our 401ks, and we're all part of this effort to benefit everyone, the workers, the leaders, and the investors. So when we hear people talking about corporations, that there's, there's something other than people, we, we hear, uh, we've got to make those corporations pay their fair share. Really what they're doing is they're pointing their fingers straight at me saying, you've got to pay more taxes. It's me. I have to take the consequences of being part of that corporation. As well as we here at the church are the same thing. We work to build each other up. We we are come here not only to be fed, but to feed others. Worship doesn't end when we walk out those doors after the benediction. It continues in our fellowship together where we come alongside and we help one another and we listen to each other. We go visit each other, we laugh, we cry. And together we build up one faith and one trust, because that's what we confess. We trust in God. We trust, just like I trust in this corporation's gonna, you know, kind of help me out in my retirement with their stock portfolio stuff. I trust even more the promise of God, though I need to hear it from you as well, constantly poured into my ears and I as well need to confess it to you. And we together can come together. Paul did this in his letter, uh, at the beginning of this chapter, chapter uh, two, um, chapter two, verses one through 11. Last week, you probably heard it. And he's talking about this split that he sees coming and he says, so if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the spirit, any affection and sympathy, all these things we're talking about. Complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being of full accord and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit. In other words, here he's trying to correct them to look to each other, and, but in humility, count, to others, count others more significant than yourselves. Have the mind among yourself, which was yours in Jesus Christ, although was found in the form of God, did not take equality with God, something to be grasped, but he emptied himself, taking the form of a servant. He was seen as a man. And as coming to this world as a man, he humbled himself even to the death, death on a cross. So therefore, God exalted the name of Jesus above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bend in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. I like that verse. That is what we're looking at here. We are looking at what the power of the church can be in each of our lives and how each of our lives can impact the power of the church second problem. I'm only going to get through two verses. I read all those, all those lines. I, I can't get through more than two, two sentences today. Therefore, dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but even more in your presence. Okay, here we go. Continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. <coughs> okay. I'm supposed to work out my salvation? What in the world is that about? I mean, are those nice young men with the short sleeve shirts and the black ties, that ride bikes, come two to two, are, are they right? We gotta work our way to heaven? What is it talking about here? It tells us in the very next sentence of what are we supposed to do. Are we working out? Are we the ones who have to work our do good works to get to heaven no it says for it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose so what are we talking about here working out our salvation for fear and trembling what he's talking about is faith God does the work God did the work he did it 2,000 years ago when his son went to the cross. Took on all of your sin and my sin. And his righteousness became our righteousness. Our sin became, became his sin. And he died on the cross. And with it, our sin died. It's done. The work has been done. We need to have nothing more than the faith of what Christ has done for us. And believe God when we hear that he so loved the world, he gave his only son. That whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Salvation is the faith that we work with. The trust that we have. It's a great word, this word faith in the Greek. Um, It's hard to explain because it has to do with innards. it's tightening up your innards. It kind of sounds like Pilates, to tell you the truth. <laughs> you know, let's strengthen your core. But the best way I could work it out was like this. It's as if we have a rope around us. And hanging in this rope, in, in the inside is our faith. And what it's saying is, building up your faith is tightening that rope bringing it closer to you, securing it tighter to you, to where it becomes so close and so tight it's like a part of you and it is a part of you. That's what this word of work means where it says working out your salvation. It means have that faith, hold on to it tightly and firmly Basically, it's our promise of eternal life given to us by our Lord who came so long ago to do all the work ahead of time. Believe. Act like you believe. Share with one another this belief. When someone's down or needs help, remind them of this faith that they have. Help them tighten up that rope just a little more. But then we're supposed to do it with fear and reverence. Oh boy, our fear and and trembling on this one, I'm gonna read this other one here in a minute. Sometimes I think when we think we can earn salvation on our own and it's us that have to do it, it's by our works, it's like we feel God doesn't really want us to be saved. So we have to try really hard to impress him and show him how real fervent we are. God, look at everything I'm doing. Look how committed I am. I do all this stuff. You can't turn your back on me. You got to take me. And then once we feel, okay, I'll take you. Come on in. Then we're worried of keeping it up all the time or else we're going to lose that blessing. God really doesn't want me. He only took me because he had to, and now he's got a chance to get rid of me. Martin Luther went through a lot of that. That's not what we're talking about here. God so loved the world, and he loves to have us. And so this fear we talk about, what does this fear mean of working out, and fear and trembling? It's a different kind of fear than we think of. When we think of fear, we think of this anxiety we have. And if it's a fear of or from somebody, it's kind of like they're above you, you're a servant, and boy, if you don't do this right, you're going to lose out. Uh, you're going to get kicked to the curb. You're going to lose your job. You're going to lose your money. You're going to lose something. But it's, it's, you're going to, you've got this anxiety built up. And ultimately, it comes down to that, they call it a servile fear. It comes down to the fear of a servant that you'll be rejected and die. That's not what faith in Christ is. That's not what believing in the promise of God is. It's called a filial fear, that of a child to a father. And it's different. It doesn't come with the anxiety, if you can imagine, a fear that doesn't have anxiety attached to it. The best I could do is this. Um, These days, sitcoms, if you ever watch them, I don't watch too many of them anymore, but it seems that every dad you see on TV is adult. Isn't he? He's the bumbling idiot that's got the funny little things going on, and the only smart person in the room is either mom or probably the kids. Oh, dad. And they're straightening out this goofy character they call dad. But I'm of an age, um, we'll see how many people smile, where there used to be a show called Fathers Knows Best. (laughs) All right, let me see. Princess and kitten, and what was his? Bud. Bud, I got it, okay, three kids. And dad was a type of guy who was quiet, but assertive, he was just, but forgiving. And the kids knew when they did something wrong, they did it, and their father was not going to be happy, but they knew he would be merciful. You remember that type of idea of the father? So no matter what your father was like growing up, this is the kind of father image, the only one I could remember. Uh, What am I going back, 50, 60, 70 years? Um, That's what we're talking about here. It is a fear you're going to have to go to your father, you're going to have to be near him, you're gonna have to see him, and he's not going to be happy. But you don't have that fear of anxiety that he will be rejected, thrown out to the curb. And that's what we have as a faith. We have a faith that does include fear, but not of loss. The way Hebrews writes it is therefore we, uh, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, and thus let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe, for, he, for our God is a consuming fire. We recognize who God is, but we realize he is, will not reject us. He will not turn his back on us. Others, with this servile fear, the world, they fear in their anxiety that they will lose their lives, but we don't have to worry about losing our life and having death because that's already been done. By our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. He took away the need for that anxiety and took it upon himself. He's the one who did for us what we could not do for ourselves. And that leaves us with a fear without anxiety, knowing that God, no matter what, is there for us to give us his word to give us his direction and to give us each other, to build us each other up in the faith. The peace of God which surpasses all understanding guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen. If you'd like more information about our church, please visit us online at gracehb.org.